Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for braving the cold. Um, I, was, I was tempted not to. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the truth of your word today, the timeless truth uh, written by King Solomon, man. Uh, it's King Solomon who uh, you uniquely allowed him, uh, Lord, uh, to share uh, a pretty provocative perspective on life. And yet, Lord, there is so much for us this morning, uh, truth to glean from this and how we ought to live uh, even today. So bless the speaker, Lord, and bless the hearts. Uh, let us hear from you today by the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, correct us, uh, revive us, Lord, whatever our individual needs are. We come before you today and let the, let the living word of God uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be here. I don't see any new faces, so I won't introduce myself. But I'm really excited this morning because we're going to jump into a time machine right now. And you've got to imagine this big time machine. And we're going to be transported back 25 years, uh, 25 years ago. You think about that for a moment. Where were you 25 years ago? What were you doing 25 years ago? Uh, Ryan, I think you'd be the only one that probably hasn't been born yet, so uh, <laughs> you don't have to think too much about that. Uh, for me, I had just transitioned out of uh, owning my own investment firm uh, to pastoring um, and helping, make, helping people make good financial investments and now helping people make good spiritual investments in their lives. And so, what would you have invested in 25 years ago? A lot of times we hear that word investing and we immediately think of monetary. Would it have been stocks, bonds, gold, silver, land? But I propose perhaps Jesus Christ. We're going to, the message, we're going to be examining, asking the question and defining what it is to live a meaningful life or a, meaning, a meaningless life, and it begins with the question, 25 years ago, even today, what are you investing in? So we're going to have some more fun, and you're back 25 years ago, and uh, I still had my business waiting for it to sell, so you come to me with $100, that's all you have to invest, and I put out some stock recommendations Intuitive Surgical, Tractor Supply, Equinix, Monster Beverage, and Intel. Oh, and Intuitive Sur uh, Oh, I already said Intuitive Surgery. Sorry. So, you've got $100. Don't show up that screen yet, Charlton. What would you have put your $100 in? Intuitive Surgery. You can write it down if that was your choice. Tractor Supply, Equinix, Monster Beverage, or Intel? Netflix? Yeah, you saw the... <laughs> okay, so anybody want to volunteer what they would have put their money in? No shame here. No, one. <laughs> no, it was a rebel. Everett. Monster beverage. Amen. You would have won. Ding, 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 ding. 
In 25 years, Monster Beverage returned over 62,000% rate of return. Your $100 today would be worth $62,544. If you were lucky enough to pick Intel, uh, that was the big loser. Uh, your $100 would be worth $397, still a decent, a 5.5 rate of return. But I don't know about you, uh, whether it's in the investment world or in my spiritual life, when I make a bad decision, when I make a bad investment, a bad choice, uh, I can be pretty, pretty prone to kick myself, to beat myself up. I should have known better. It's easy to do. So I want you to further imagine now you've come to an investment conference uh, held by King Solomon. And it starts out something like this. Good morning, I'm King Solomon. God said of me, I'm the wisest and the wealthiest man here alive today. And I've uh, come to teach you about investing. And he starts out with these words, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything, Everything is meaningless. Now, there's a certain element of shock value in a statement like that, uh, but that's typically what public speakers do. They open with a shock statement to engage the audience, to begin to stir the questions. Uh, and so we're going to look at the context of all that Solomon spoke as we read this morning in Ecclesiastes and glean the truth and how practical it is today. His opening statement is provocative to say the least, but it's meant to draw us to the question in particular, what am I investing in? What am I doing with my life? And again, he had the unique opportunity to explore everything that was done under the sun. And he comes away with a conclusion, and it starts out, examine everything. Ask yourself often the questions, what are you really investing in in life? You see, the reality is there's a choice before every human being 3,000 years ago today, the opportunity for a meaningful or a meaningless life. And the second choice, and perhaps more importantly, is who defines what is? Who defines what is and what will be meaningful or meaningless? And that's the great question. Is it God or is it me? This is the wisest and wealthiest man alive at the time, uniquely qualified to ask and answer these questions. And there's a ton of wisdom in this passage that has to be Glean because it almost appears hidden. What's he really saying? Mixed with a little bit of prose, it's what I call a, pro a poetic approach to wisdom, understanding, and ultimately the meaning of life. Ecclesiastes is the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known. So says Thomas Wolfe, an early 20th century, novel, 20th century novelist, best known for his book, Look Homeward Angel. And it's about a young man uh, who leaves home and he's going out in search of a better life. Uh, grew up uh, somewhat poor. Uh, a search of a better life and search for meaning, uh, the meaning of life. 
It's a question we all know has been pondered. That's what Solomon is doing this morning. He's posing this question for you and I to ponder this. The meaning of life, it's been asked and it's been answered for over 3,000 years. It has been asked by most in every generation of mankind. And yet still men and go in search of all the wrong places, in search of all the wrong things. And you know, it's kind of an equation. Ultimately, if you're in search of the wrong things or you're searching in the wrong places, you're going to come up with the wrong answers. Amen? The wrong answers to the meaning of life. And before you know it, you've lived a futile life and you now realize that it's almost over. I'll be celebra celebrating my 68th birthday uh, next week. And, and um, you know, they talk about that curve in life. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm a good ways down the backside of that curve. Uh, but it's something, no matter the age, we should all be asking ourselves, what am I investing in? Ultimately, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes and understand three things about God's word. First and foremost, it's timeless. This book was written approximately 3,100 years ago. 3,100 years ago. It's timeless. Secondly, it's truth. And God's truth transcends all of life. God's truth transcends the generations from Adam and Eve till when our Lord returns. But most importantly... As believers, we need to understand how timely God's word is, and that is how we can apply it to our lives. There's two takeaways from the book of Ecclesiastes, and the first is compassion. And, you know, when I was thinking about this a, a few months ago, uh, compassion really means to guard against cynicism, right? Compassion really means to guard against cynicism. We need to have compassion in any and all unbelievers who are on the wrong track, who are trapped in the 21st century uh, in suffering, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, and maybe even searching for the meaning of life. I shared this uh, at our New Year's Day service, but uh, I go to a coffee shop, actually right over here, Bully Brew, uh, every morning I study and I've gotten to know all the staff. Uh, well, this was, uh, it was right after Christmas, and a new barista, uh, well, he looks young, but I, he's a little bit older, but he, he came up to me while I was studying. He said, uh, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, and you know, the, the girls told me, and he said, okay, hey, can I just uh, talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. What's going on? He said, well, I'm, I'm really struggling. Um, I said, what's your struggle? He said, well, my best friend, all through grade school, all through high school. Uh, he's married, lives down in uh, Wapaton. He's got five children. And two days before Christmas, he took his own life. And he proceeded to tell me that my friend didn't believe in God. And that's the culture we live in. We can focus on all the, the evil and the wickedness and the depravity that is all around us. And we can lose sight of the fact that people still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's still the answer for anxiety, for hopelessness, and certainly the meaning of life. And the second one for us as believers is how to live and do life. And that's simply on God's terms uh, by the word of God. 
So we're going to talk about uh, six components this morning to a meaningful or a meaningless life. It's really a choice. Solomon begins in verse 3, says, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? It's a provocative question. He's asking you and I to stop and think, even the Christian today, to stop and think, because the consequences are serious. You mean, that's all there is to life for me to work 40, 50 years, gather a few trinkets, and at the end of my life I die? Is that the meaning and purpose of life? Well, if we read chapter 2, Solomon did all that, and he found out it wasn't the answer. See, the question is profound. The question really is, is work a means to an end or an end to a means? One is truth and one is a lie. The truth is that work reflects God's character and nature. I have this conversation all the time when I'm talking with people about our welfare system. God commands. God himself works six days, Genesis 2 tells us. He worked six days and he rested. Work is the character and the nature of God. Now, granted, it was pretty easy for him, right, by the breath of his mouth, creating everything, but it reflects his character and nature. For us, work gives us a sense of accomplishment, which is by God's design. It gives us a sense of self-worth when we accomplish goals. It obviously provides a paycheck, which is good and right, to provide for our needs. The second truth is work is commanded by God. In Genesis 1.28, he told Adam and, Earth, Adam and Eve to work the earth, right? Work the earth, work the ground. And the reality is God hates laziness. God hates laziness. There's so many proverbs about the lazy. But I think one of the most powerful words, my dad used to quote this all the time when I was a boy growing up. And if you've ever read my book, Solomon's Seven Secrets, uh, I, I honor my dad and my mom at the beginning of the book. My dad taught me the value of hard work. And we had chores. By the time we were eight years old, we had to go on the chore chart. Uh, I had to take out the trash. I had to mow the yard. Those were my chores. And I can, be, I can remember being uh, very frustrated by that at times. But he always would say this, those who will not work shall not eat. And he never quoted the Bible verse. Uh, and I always thought to myself, hmm, that's kind of funny. But now I understand. You see, I think hard work is one of a Christian's best testimonies, to work hard. You're on the job. You don't take half-hour breaks and the 15-minute breaks. You come back after lunch, after a half-hour, an hour. I think working hard is one of the best testimonies for us as believers. But the second is work an end to a means. And that simply means Solomon is warning us. We need to be careful that work isn't an end to a means. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And we are warned throughout scriptures about the obsession with possessions and how they can distort and cloud our view and our understanding. What I accomplish is what defines me. That's the world in which we live in. But Genesis 1 says otherwise. We're told to work the earth, 
But God ultimately commanded us to live for him and live under his word. Amen? In Genesis 2. Secondly, the second lie and the snare is my self-worth is my net worth. We think because we're rich, uh, because we have a lot of stuff, uh, we're important or we're successful. But the question is, are we successful in the eyes of God? And Solomon begins the second point, starting in verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And he goes through and identifies elements of nature. And then he says in verse 10, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. And he goes on, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. What is the heavy burden? Well, first understand that Solomon in verses 4 through 7 is comparing life to nature, right? How many of you sometimes feel like you're, if you want to be living in a rut, maybe, or you're doing the same things over and over again? I get up, I go to work, I come home, I have supper, I read a little bit, I watch a little television, I go to bed, I get up the next day, it's the same all over. You know that song by Canned Heat? You probably never heard of that group. Uh, it's the same all over. Anybody ever heard of that? Got to have some rockers. But <laughs> yeah. All right. We, we got a couple rockers. Um, the sun rises and it sets. The wind blows to the north. We experience that a lot here, right? And tomorrow it'll blow from the south. All the streams flow into the river. Even the four seasons that we experience spring, new birth, summer, the, the heat, the passion of our youth. And then the fall, we start to grow old, and then winter comes and everything dies. Is there anything new? Of course there is. If Solomon were to come back 3,000 years and see today, he'd see a lot of things that are new, right? That's not the point. The point is, is there anything new? Yeah, we've got tremendous advances in medicine, technology, you name it. Yet the age-old problem is still here, sin. And the age-old problem is, what is the meaning of life? And today, so many people are still missing the boat. The dock, uh, the shore, as my friend David would say. And I ask you, especially if you're older, is the world a better place today than it was 20 years ago? 30 years ago, 50 years, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're moving more and more to the culture that is defined by the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, given over, given over uh, and to depravity and wickedness and professing to be wise, the woke, they become fools instead. The world still and will always be a fallen world, no matter how great the technology is, no matter how great the advancements are, the world is still a broken, fallen place, and it cannot be saved. It's a sinking ship or a Titanic, if you will. But people can, amen? amen. People can. And this is what Solomon is drawing us to, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question that Solomon, are you doing life with God? on his terms, or are you doing life without God on your terms? Are you making a name for yourself, or are you making a name before God? You see, one is life, one is a dead-end street. 
And it's a question we should ask ourselves often. It comes down to motivation. What is motivating us? What is inspiring us today? I hope we're being motivated. I hope we're being inspired now more than ever to be living for God and holding up his truths. As D.L. Moody says, it's good to check the gauges once in a while. And the truth is, am I investing wisely for eternity? Are you investing today in the right things? If you have read my book, uh, if you listen to my voice message, uh, you'll hear this. Your life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. We only have this life. He says in verses 8 and 9, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What is the warning? It's excess. It's excess. The realize that the more we have, the more the potential for pride to base our lives on our possessions, influence, power, I'm more important, and ultimately we use our possessions to divide whether or not a man or a woman is successful. You can have it all. Howard Hughes had it all, ended up dying, living as a recluse for the last 18 years of life. Had it all. One of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth in 1945. It was a meaningless life. It's like the more I travel, I don't think I travel a lot, uh, but the more I travel, the more I see. You know what I also realize? The more I won't, the w- I won't see. It's a great big world, isn't it? And so am I going to spend my life traveling? Is that the meaning of life, to see as much of the world as I can? And the biggest realization, the more I study God's word, the more I realize I don't know. I don't know. Are you investing in the right things? And Paul warns us, knowledge in and of itself puffs puffs up, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Daniel says in chapter 12 that it'll be one of the signs of the end time, the proliferation of knowledge. Men thinking they're wiser than God. You know, my little grandgirl's got uh, smartphones. I mean, they literally have all the knowledge that is known to man. Anything, anything. You want to Google anything. Oh, what actor played in this movie? I mean, you can Google anything. What's the uh, equation for uh, a certain formula? We are living in a culture today that is uh, amassed so much knowledge, but yet we still have the same problem. We're still apart from God. And the truth for you and I is, Solomon is saying, I must always guard and keep God's perspective and God's purpose for life. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Number four, what a heavy burden Verse 14, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. 
a chasing after the wind. Anybody ever chased after the wind? Huh? Every day? Have you ever caught it? (laughs) What's he saying? Well, it's important what is he saying and what he's not saying. Life is wonderful. Life is beautiful. Life has got tremendous opportunities if we're living for God. But if we're not living for God, that's the real burden. The heavy burden is the same trap, the same choices that men have been making since Adam and Eve, choosing the wrong path, choosing the wrong way, rejecting God. And we know Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were given that choice to follow God, follow God's word. God gave them that choice knowing full well that it would lead to disobedience and sin. And the word today is for all those who are going going through life without God, they're living a lie. And we know that. They're living a lie. I don't care how successful they are. I don't care how famous they are. I don't care how much they have. If they're not living for God, they're living a lie. And that's a great starting point anytime we're out sharing the gospel. If they're seeking power and authority over men, prestige and honor among men, privilege and social status with men, or possessions. You see, we know the truest meaning and the highest purpose for life. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? The King of kings. And we know this. And Jesus commands us to never let it go when he says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's right there, the order. Everything else is secondary. Seek God and seek the kingdom of God. Seek the righteousness of God found through Jesus Christ. Number five, verse 15. I love this verse. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. What is he saying? There's a lot in life that's out of my control. I can't control the weather. I wish I could. I'd make, I'd make February in North Dakota 70 degrees. Wouldn't that be nice? I've said that before, and people have come, yeah, then the state would be 10 times the population. I can't control the weather. There were times when I couldn't control my own teenagers when they left the house and got in the car. I teach them and train them, but at the end of the day, I'm not driving that car. I'm not making the choices. Neither am I making the choices here this morning for you. This is individual. It's mano a mano, me and you before Almighty God, and the choices we make, understanding that the choices we can control. God has given that to us. We've been given a regenerated mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind of the Lord, but we have the mind of Christ. We're without excuse. We either choose the things of God or we don't choose the things of God. But if I want a meaningful life, then I can control that by choosing what is good, what is right, what is best. It's God, God's word, God's way to do life. You know, one of the things that comes with choices for the believer and for the unbeliever, you know what that is? 
consequences, right? If you raise children, you taught them. Their choices and their decisions had consequences. You disobey your parents when they're little, you got a spanking. If you miss curfew, you got the car taken away. Every choice we make in life has consequences. We're living in a culture today is trying to remove that. I can be free to do whatever I want and there's no consequences. And that's a lie. But every single person, God is going to hold accountable the choices they made. Life with God at the judgment seat of Christ and what we did for God, what we did for his kingdom, what we did in proclaiming and telling the story of Jesus Christ or life without God. The great white throne judgment where every unbeliever uh, will have a record of all of their sins read back before them in the throne room of God before the Lord God Almighty. Every sin, 70, 80 years worth of sins, and God will pronounce judgment. You chose this life without me. You chose eternity without me. That's a sobering, sobering fact. And lastly, verses 16 through 18 Solomon writes, look, I've grown increased in wisdom more than anyone. There's the statement, the wisest man who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom. God bestowed on him to be the wisest man to ever live and knowledge. I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. Anybody know what folly means? Hmm? Fool? Foolish. Foolish with ruin. If you, if you look up the dictionary, it's, it's a foolish act or instances of foolery that has ruinous results. So Solomon says, I've spanned it all. I've studied wisdom. I've studied madness. I've studied folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Here's why. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. What is Solomon grieving about? What is his grief? It's the same grief that you and I should carry in our hearts for those who are living apart from God. They're living a foolish life, a maddening life, if you will. Solomon's grief is our grief. Have you ever grieved for people that make bad decisions and wrong choices. You might have experienced that in your own home with your own children. You know, Christians can make a mess of their lives too. And we see it in the church today. There's a lot of madness and folly going on in what is supposed to be Christ's church. A lot of madness and folly. A lot of chasing after the wind. A lot of meaningless going on. And the end result, every choice has consequences, is pain, misery, brokenness, anxiety, stress, hopelessness, despair, like the young father of five who took his life two days before Christmas with five young children, three months to 11 years old in his home. Despair. Have you ever grieved seeing other people in pain because of poor choices. 
Have you ever grieved for people who experience misery, anxiety, fear, no purpose to life? See, his grief is our grief. We grieve for those. That's the compassion element of Ecclesiastes. We grieve for those who miss the point of life. We grieve for those who miss the point of doing life for God. Ultimately, they're missing both the point and the purpose of life, and that is to know Jesus Christ. The truth, that is the point of life. Jesus Christ, who we live for and how we live. We declare and testify. This is one of my all-time favorite verses, Acts 20, 24. The Apostle Paul, as recorded in the book of Acts, says, however, I consider my life worth nothing. What drove the Apostle Paul? He says right here, this is what drove him. I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Say that with me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task. You and I have a race and a task, and that is to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else, this is true Christianity. Everything else takes a back seat to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the preeminence of Jesus Christ, to declaring, to testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Sometimes I, I, I put this at the end because sometimes I get into some exchanges with people and, uh, oh, you seem to know it all. Well, I don't know it all. As I've already said, the more I study, the more I realize I don't know. Sometimes I want to bring a verse and a message and I know the, the verse, but I can't think of the number anymore. And that, that knowledge is starting to ebb away a little bit. Anybody experience that? <laughs> Amen. I don't have all the answers. I've devoted 43 years of my life of studying the one who does have all the answers. And I don't know it all, but we have the right answers. Amen? Nobody else. The, the Bible-carrying Christian is the person who has all the right answers to all the deepest questions of life. I don't care if you're 10 or you're 90. If you're a believer, if you stand on the word of God, if you stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ, you have all the answers. Anyone you encounter. Now, Jesus tells us, don't throw our, our pearls before pigs, which means some people are hostile to the gospel. And they might already be given over. But the rest of the world is still searching. The rest of the world knows that something's wrong. I, uh, I don't watch them often, but uh, a gentleman, you probably, from Glenn Beck. Anybody ever hear of Glenn Beck? He said he went to New York over Christmas. I was watching, uh, I call them podcasts, and, and he said, I went to New York, and uh, he said, I was crossing the sidewalk, and the guy mumbled under his breath. He said, he must have recognized me. He said, why don't you just go and die? And welcome to New York. No, I'm not... But then he started to mix, you know, going out to lunch, started talking. A lot of Democrats, a lot of liberals in New York City. And as he spent more time there, started talking, they all admitted there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong in the earth. 
And even some of the most prolific, hard-hearted people are starting to ask the question, is there something wrong? Yeah, we're living in a nation that has forgotten God. We're living in a nation that has put down God's word. That's what's wrong. And we are the salt and the light. We are the ambassadors in chains. We don't have all the answers, but we have the right answers, and we have enough. God has given us enough through his word to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, and that will determine whether you and I have lived a meaningful or a meaningless life. Let's pray. Lord, I I just marvel at this book of Ecclesiastes. I've read it so many times, and uh, every time I read it, Father, uh, my heart is stirred, Lord. I'm brokenhearted. I've got six or seven siblings in my own family that are apart from Christ, and I grieve for them sometimes and pray for them. So many people are missing the point and the purpose of life. We thank you that you have revealed to us that it is Jesus Christ and living for him and testifying and witnessing for him. May our hearts be stirred today. May our hearts be impacted today more than ever to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have eyes to see, ears to listen and hear those who are troubled around us, those who have missed the point of life, the purpose of life, who only need Jesus Christ. Let us be faithful witnesses and ambassadors. In his name I pray, amen.